lunch, I'll go ahead and take a seat. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. I um, uh, hope you are doing good. Hey, if you're new, please fill out the Connect card that's on your seat or on the seat of your neighbor, okay? Um, if you don't have one on your seat, your neighbor will. Uh, please fill that out. We would love to connect with you to help you grow, to help you learn more about Jesus, to help you get connected at church, uh, all the different things. And so uh, if you fill that out, we'll meet you in the lobby. You can hand that over to us. We'll give you a secret black box with ingredients in it. It's awesome. Uh, yesterday, hey, the back-to-school bash was great. How many of y'all came to that? Woo! It was great. Wow, that was super lame. That was really lame. Yeah, we served the community and people heard the gospel. Eh. I'm going to try it again, okay? Uh, 380 kids received backpacks yesterday. Woo, that's good. All right, all right, all right. More than that, I uh, heard the gospel. Uh, very intentionally, everybody came into a room first, groups at a time, presented the gospel very clearly, then went to get backpacks and then hung out outside. Uh, the party was supposed to end at 5, and people were still there at 6, all right? We paid for a lot of funnel cakes yesterday, okay, more than we had planned on, but it was worth it. Uh, it was a great time to bless our community and to be able to be together. And so thank you to those of you who helped serve, uh, who participated. And as I say, every time we do anything like this, it's your investment in City Light, whether it's with time, energy, resources, that allows us to be able to bless our community and our city and to do that consistently throughout the year over time uh, to become a place of trust where people rely on so this is a safe place where I can get help, both spiritual and physical, where I can be loved regardless of whatever's going on in my life. Uh, and so as we started last week, we are in our second week of our series called Stretched, How to Move Into Your Calling by Moving Out of Your Comfort Zone. Last week we talked about uh, what does it look like to be stretched, okay? I got one of these again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it every, every week, remember? So the idea is... Uh, that the Lord wants to reveal more about us and more what he intended to put in us, but the way more gets revealed is through being stretched, right? This is the only way, and God has to pull us so that he can reveal more of what he intended in us and so that we can become everything God sees that we should be. And so we're in a season, and really every, every believer is always in one sense in a season of stretching that the Lord wants to pull us in some degree to allow us to rely on him. And the question you ought to be asking is, what does the Lord want to stretch in my life? Uh, what does the Lord want to do? Uh, last week I had a green one. Someone got it. And so this week there's a blue one, all right? So if you want it after the service to commemorate your obedience to the Lord, you can come take it, all right? So just remember, remember this is what we're intending to do. It's what the Lord wants to do. And last week we talked specifically about how it's time to trust God. We went into the story of the harvest, Luke 10. The idea was that it's not a lack of opportunity, but a lack of those who take responsibility. Remember, there's plenty of work to be done. The problem is not, is there enough work to be done? The problem is, are there people who are willing to take ownership or responsibility for it? It's not a lack of opportunity. It's a lack of those who will take responsibility. Uh, so in light of that, before I jump into the message today, I wanted to bring up someone who has taken responsibility for the harvest and for the souls in his particular spheres of influence, my man Bill. Can you all welcome Bill up? Come on up, Bill. Woo! We love Bill. Uh, so Bill has recently uh, started a Bible study in his apartment complex. Uh, 
without me asking or anybody. It was of his own volition. Uh, and so, Bill, I just wanted him to come up. Uh, we wanted to honor what the Lord's doing in your life. I think you're a great example of taking personal responsibility for the people God has put in your life. So why don't you just share a few minutes about what the Lord's doing and what compelled you to do that. Father, where shall I work today? And my love flowed warm and free. He pointed me to a tiny spot. said, tend that for me. Answered quickly, oh, no, not that one no one would ever see. No matter how well my work was done in that tiny spot for thee. In a word he spoke, it was not stern. Ah, little one, search that heart of thine. Art thou working for them or me? Nazareth was a little place, and so was Galilee. You know, we're told in Ephesians, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. James tells us that faith without works is dead. So we're saved by grace, but we're saved to work. The Great Commission tells us, go, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. First, we have to go across the street. Back in December, God enabled me to purchase a two-bedroom, two-bath condo in an upscale community, 55-plus. I wasn't able to do that. It was God. God did that. And he said, it was like he said. I, I pictured him saying, okay, old man. I'm going to put you over here where you can be comfortable. I'm going to give you a few friends, and I'm going to give you a job. I'm going to give you a purpose. So I was thinking, well, what can I do? I can start a Bible study. Okay, I can start a Bible study. So I went to the manager and uh, told her I'd like to start a Bible study, and uh, she said, Okay. I said, we'd like to use the club room. She said, well, to use the club room, you have to have a club. <laughs> I said, well, okay, how do you have a club? She said, well, you have to have 10 sponsors. You have to have 10 signatures. I said, well, okay, well, give me a form. How do I do that? She gave me a form. And I went out, and they were having another meeting in the club room. It was a... <clears throat> a afternoon tea or a, a resident gathering or something and I walked in and there were several people standing by the door and I told them what I'd like to do and one lady says, oh, I've been praying that someone would start a Bible study. And another lady says, oh, I want to help. I've got ten signatures right there. <clears throat> <laughs> when God puts something together, I mean, you know, he does it. So I went back and told the manager, I said, well, will this do? She said, well, yeah, yeah. So we formed the Atrium Bible Study Club. You know, when people work for the President of the United States, they consider it a great honor. You know, they're proud of that. We work for someone far greater than the President of the United States. I used to have something called uh, 
I don't know. Anyway, they'd go knock on somebody's door. And when they'd come to the door, they had balloons and festive atmosphere. And they'd say, yay, you win a million dollars. We have something far greater than a million dollars. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, good news, but it's more. It's more than that. We sometimes act like we're kind of ashamed of it. But it's more than good news. It's good news. It's great news. The gospel of Jesus Christ. God gives us, God gives us a purpose. We've, we've been growing together and meeting and praying together. We prayed with people that didn't speak English. We laid hands on a lady and prayed for her. She brought, just brought her husband home from the hospital. She had medical problems. Her daughter was there interpreting for us. We prayed for her. We connected with the Parkinson's group that meets in our complex. Pray for them. One gentleman that we had been asked for urgent prayer for went to ICU, passed away recently. And his wife asked us to pray for the people that were coming in for the funeral. So we're getting known around the complex because a lot of you have been praying for us. Some say that God governs the world by the prayers of his saints. So thank you for praying for us, and God bless you as you serve him. Thank you. Well, we're going we're gonna to pray again, okay, for what God's doing over there. Uh, and praise the Lord for uh, the example that you set for all of us to be obedient to the place God puts us. So let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for Bill. I pray that you encourage his heart this morning. Thank you, um, Lord, that he is using his time so wisely and that you have given him such a burden for the people around him. Thank you for the favor that you've given him with the people in his apartment complex. And we pray that you would continue, uh, God, to use him and that group mightily, God, to bring about the kingdom of God there in that apartment complex. Every soul there, every person matters so much to you. You love each and every one of them so deeply you died for them. Uh, and I pray that you would continue to encourage Bill and his team, give them great energy for the work that you call them. I pray for supernatural, Lord, results, for salvations, for people's lives to be changed, that prayers would be answered, uh, and that would become a holy place. So that apartment would become a holy ground, Lord, uh, and that you would do great work. So we thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bill. We appreciate you, brother. Yep. Um, uh, that is, uh, that is basically the message, okay, of the whole series. I can't preach a sermon better than a life lived by example, uh, to take re- personal responsibility. That's exactly what it looks like, okay? Here, where do I live? All right. The Lord has put me here on purpose. Great. Um, what can I do? All right. Is there a form to fill out? Okay. You know, how many signatures? There's nothing flashy in that story. There's no holy moment. There's no dream vision. There's not. It's like, can you give me a form? I need 10 signatures. Where I need to find 10 people. Great. Okay. The Lord lets me find 10 people. We start a Bible study. Great. Here we go. You know, it's just simple obedience. Just simple obedience that has a dramatic impact. Okay. That's all the Lord is at. So when we talk about being stretched, 
it very well because it's in the Bible and you're going to see it. It might mean you need to pick up all your stuff, sell everything, and move somewhere. I don't know. The Lord might do that. But it also means just wherever you are, start taking simple steps of obedience. And take personal responsibility for your workplace, for your friends, for your neighborhood, for the city that you live in. Take personal responsibility. So Bill shows up and says, okay, I'm going to take personal responsibility for this apartment complex. That's it. And I'm just going to own it, and I'm going to do what the Lord wants me to do there. Uh, What a wonderful, wonderful way for us to be inspired in the same way to say, how can I take personal responsibility for what God is doing in my life? Uh, And hopefully we'll be able to tell even more stories. There's, There's many people like Bill here who are doing things like that that I think would encourage your heart. Uh, So today, in light of that, um, today is called Three Obstacles of Obedience. Three Obstacles of Obedience. So last message and this message are fairly serious on the convicting side of like we really need to step into obedience. The next two messages after that are going to help inspire, help dream about what God could do, okay? So two messages to get us aligned with what God wants to maybe bring the appropriate conviction and repentance and and motivation to be obedient that God might be doing. And then two messages to help us imagine and to help us be excited about the kind of things that God could do. So today, three obstacles of obedience. Uh, It's like when you're following Jesus, you got some of these hurdles that you almost have to jump over to be able to get to where God wants you to do, wants you to go. Uh, Another picture you could have in mind is this last week, I went out into a river with my kids. So there's a little creek behind my house. Uh, and it goes for a while, you know, so it, it's, a, it's a nice little thing. And my, my kids and I, so me and my boys, I have six kids, three boys, three girls. So me and my boys were down there, and we went uh, on a whole adventure, okay, like Huckleberry Finn, all right? We were out there. We were doing all sorts of stuff. Nobody understands that reference at all. Who is anybody? Okay, there's a few of you. Okay, okay, okay. There's a few of you. So we're out there just doing our thing, uh, being boys, you know, and getting dirty and messy. And uh, we go in the back of the creek. But then we decide to go under and through this little tunnel, okay, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We go under this tunnel, all right, and we get in this. And the tunnel takes you to a totally different area, okay, because it takes you under the road, all right. So it takes you under this road. You go from behind my house. You cross the under the road and then you open up into this whole world uh you know and so my kids were finding like little sandy areas and calling them beaches and it was like we found our own beach I'm like yeah we did you're right yeah yeah we did this is amazing right so we're doing all this we we spend hours out there it's a lot of fun okay we come back the next day my kids are trying to convince the women to go okay particularly my wife to say all right let's all go family trip all right let's all go down let's do this together okay yeah, yeah, yeah this is fun uh, uh, so my wife hates, like, rats, mice, anything like that, okay? So a tunnel is a perfect place for stuff like that, you know? But I, I, I came in, and I, we had to convince them, okay? The fun's on the other side of the tunnel. So you're used to the creek, great. If you go through the tunnel, it opens up this whole thing. There's water deep enough you can swim, and so it's kind of fun to do that. So we were trying to convince everybody. The boys were saying, all right, let's go. Let's go through this tunnel, and we'll get to the other side, and it opens up. It's fantastic, all right? Uh, and so we convinced, especially my wife. So the boys go in first, right? And, and the girls are coming behind. My wife is lagging in the back, you know. But she's, so we get in the tunnel, in the tunnel. My wife is fierce and brave, okay? But when it comes to tunnels where there could be rats and snakes, you know, it wasn't quite her thing. Uh, we get in there, and, and uh, there's, there's, it's dark, okay? It's a dark little tunnel. So you're literally walking through a tunnel. And you have no idea. Is this a sewage tunnel? It doesn't smell like it. So I think it's okay, you know. Uh, and you have a little flashlight on your iPhone, and you really can't see very much. 
And we're walking down the tunnel, and everybody's trying to straddle the tunnel because there's water in it, and you have no idea what's there. So you're trying, trying to straddle the tunnel and do your very best, convincing everyone, hey, this will be worth it, this will be fun. Uh, my oldest son goes first. He gets to the other side of the tunnel, and he starts, he has a net, and he starts screaming, snake, snake, snake. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh. But I think he's lying, okay? I think he's just messing around because he knows everybody's afraid. And I'm like, whatever, dude, you know. Everybody keep coming. And then he has a net. He screams, I caught a snake. I caught a snake. And I'm like, you're done. That's not true. All right? I get up there, and there's a snake this big. It's a big snake in his, it's not a little, it's a real snake slithering in this little fish net that he has, okay? I'm like, oh, my gosh, it looks like a water moccasin, all right? I'm like, this thing could kill all of us, all right? So, wow, first of all, you caught a snake. I'm amazed. I'm so impressed, you know? Uh, but as soon as everybody starts freaking out, okay, now all the kids, they see the snake slithering around in the net, and they're like, oh, no, nah, we are not. This journey is over. It's over, you know? This is not. And my wife's in the back. I told you we shouldn't have gone through the tunnel, you know? This is a death tunnel. I knew it was a bad idea. I'm never trusting you again, you know? Why would we go through this tunnel? It's dark and scary, and there's snakes. So everybody starts to go back. They're literally like, this adventure that you were talking about is over, okay? And I'm like, listen, it's a creek. You're going to see a snake from time to time. It's okay. And they're like, nope, not today, you know? So they all go back, and I'm stuck with the snake in the net because somebody's got to figure out what to do with the snake in the net. And so I'm holding the snake in the net, and, you know, I had to handle my dad business and kill the snake, all right? All right? Just like Jesus crushed the head of the snake, okay? I had to model that, all right? So we go preach the gospel from that. So I had to take care of the snake. But now they wouldn't go back. And what I want you to see from that whole thing is the snake in the very beginning of our journey created an obstacle that we cannot overcome. But the obstacle actually prevented us from enjoying the rest of the trip. It prevented us from going where we could have gone. It prevented us from doing the fun things we could have done. It prevented us from experiencing the rest of what God had out there because we couldn't get past the obstacle at the beginning of the tunnel. And so it is for us in our journeys with Jesus, or maybe for some of you, you're still exploring Christianity, to say there are these obstacles that get in the way, these snakes in the tunnel, so to speak, these hurdles that we simply can't get beyond that are preventing us, not just from being obedient, but preventing us from exploring the kingdom of God and the possibilities that he has out there for us. You have stopped because someone said, snake, you know. Someone said, awkward, you know. Someone said, I'm afraid. Someone said, you're fired. Someone said, whatever, you know. You have stopped. Someone said, I can't believe you would believe that. Someone said, how could someone live? Someone, you have stopped because someone screamed danger. Someone screamed cross. Someone, and you have stopped because there's an obstacle that has been presented to you in your spiritual journey with Jesus. And instead of by faith continuing to navigate the treacherous road that can be following Jesus, you have stopped and said, oh, no, not today. And you've turned around and you haven't stepped into the whole world that God intended you to go to. There's a snake in the tunnel. There's an obstacle in your path. And the Lord wants to prevent those or present those to you today to make them clear. And then for you to have the faith to trust him to walk through that obstacle and to continue to trust God. There may be and there are certainly snakes in the road, snakes in the tunnel of your Christian life and your journey. But God will be with you every step of the way. And so three obstacles that aren't just, this is what I want to do so badly. 
I don't want to make you feel bad that you're not as obedient as you should be. Okay, that's not what I want to do. And that might be appropriate at some level for you to have some conviction and repentance and sorrow. Let the Lord do that. And I think that's appropriate. But what I'd like to do is convince you that on the other side of this obstacle, you know, is a whole world. You know, the water's deep enough you can swim. You know, there's more exciting things to be done. There's a whole kingdom that awaits you. There's these experiences. Like Bill would say, if Bill stopped when they said, well, you have to have a club. He'd say, a club? I have to get 10 signatures. Bill told me I know two people. How am I going to get 10 signatures from two people? We have to forge a lot of names, you know. We can make up some stuff. But you know, he said, that's an obstacle. Okay, if he stopped there, then he would have missed everything God has done now. There would have been no praying over this woman. There would have been no praying over the husband from the hospital. There would have been no Bible study meeting in the middle of an apartment complex that wouldn't have existed. There would have been no laying your pillow down on the head at night peacefully knowing you're doing what God has asked you to do. There would be none of that if he said, well, getting 10 signatures is too much. I don't know 10 people. Maybe that wouldn't happen. See what I'm saying? And so that's what the Lord wants to help you do is to, and that's what I want to help you do is inspire you and help you understand through conviction and maybe some repentance there that the Lord has a lot in store for you, and I don't want you to miss out on what it is. So Luke chapter 9. Go ahead and open your Bible to Luke chapter 9. Let's go. All right. Verse 57 through 62. Just five simple verses for us today. These are... Uh, some of the most challenging passages in the Bible. So as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Obstacle number one. To another he said, follow me. But the Lord said, but he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, which sounds very harsh, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's obstacle number two. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So three obstacles, we're going to work through them one by one. Comfort and security is the first. Wrong priorities are the second. And familiarity is the third. These are three obstacles that get in the way of you being stretched and becoming everything God has intended for you to become. I hope that those of you who do know the Lord, and you've said this to God, I will follow you wherever you go, and sincerely, but then Jesus said, well, there's a snake at the tunnel, you know. Jesus said, well, there's an awkward conversation right there. Jesus said, well, there's a price to pay. You said, eh, I'm not sure about that. I hope to help you overcome that today. And for those of you who don't know the Lord and you're here exploring Christianity, I just want to show you why Jesus is worth following. I hope you see today not only the seriousness of the, all of this, but why Jesus is worth giving everything up for to follow him. Okay, so the three obstacles, the three snakes in the road, in the tunnel, the three hurdles to overcome, to jump over as we follow Jesus. We'll start with the first one, comfort and security. So the guy says, I'll follow you. And Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So the guy says, wherever you go, I want to go. And then Jesus clarifies that wherever I go, it gets uncomfortable real quick. 
Where He said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, the places that I go are uncomfortable. My lifestyle, Jesus says, is uncomfortable. It looks particularly like this. Even animals have a place to stay, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It becomes quite clear that you cannot both follow Jesus and pursue your own comfort. It just can't happen. You can't do both. Now, does Jesus do things that he blesses us so we can enjoy some comfort? Of course. He's not asking you to hurt yourself every day. But what is happening is saying, as you choose to follow me, you're not really following me unless you follow me into places that make you uncomfortable. Otherwise, you're just following yourself. And you call it Jesus because it makes you feel better. You see? That's where the rubber meets the road. You're not actually following Jesus until you go somewhere he's taking you. You don't want to go. And so the question for some of you is, have you just been following yourself and you call it Jesus? Have you gone anywhere you don't want to go? Have you done anything you don't want to do? Have you followed Jesus to a place that makes you uncomfortable? Because if not, I'll say this lovingly, you could be just following yourself to follow Jesus. You're not, I, I shouldn't say, you're not following Jesus until you go somewhere you don't want to go. You do something you don't want to do. Otherwise, you're just following yourself. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus in a very sincere and real way. And not only does this verse give us the idea of what following Jesus actually looks like, but the beauty of it is it gives us an idea of what Jesus is actually like. Not only is following Jesus can be hard, but look at this, okay? Think about it for a second. That's why I hope you see the worthiness of Jesus to follow him. He says, look, I'm the son of man. I am the Lord of all things. The God who made everything has now chosen to be homeless. The God who made all the earth has nowhere to put his head. The God who deserved to be comfortable forever chose to come put on flesh and blood and experience poverty and homelessness. The God who deserves to enjoy the riches of his creation chose to abstain from them for the sake of making an example. The God who deserves honor and respect and comfort and royal treatment chose to come live as a homeless man. This is the way of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. This is the worthiness of Jesus. This is the gospel. God who makes himself nothing... So he can offer you everything. Right? The God who deserves everything makes himself nothing. Why? So he can give you everything. The God who was rich becomes poor. Why? So he can make you rich in the kingdom of God. Not rich with all your money. Rich in the kingdom. This is what God is at. This is the beauty of what Jesus is doing. The God who is all powerful chooses to be wounded so that he can offer you healing. The God who is perfect chooses to take your sin so he can offer you forgiveness. This is amazing. What a picture of a God worth following. Jesus had nowhere to lay his head so that you can have somewhere you can call home. This is who Jesus is. 
This is the man God. This is the son of God who is worthy of your trust and of your following. If this is the kind of God that is calling you forward, then this is the kind of God you can trust. This is what Jesus is revealing. As not only is he calling them, but he's revealing his own lifestyle. The God who deserves all things, let go of them so that he could give you salvation, forgiveness, and a new life. So this Jesus is worth following. Maybe for some of you, that's what you're still on the border of. And I just want to persuade you and help you to think through this morning that Jesus is worth following. He's worth giving your whole life to. So like Jesus, then, we choose to be uncomfortable. Here's something for you to write down. Choosing to be uncomfortable unlocks kingdom potential. Okay? Choosing to be uncomfortable unlocks kingdom potential. It opens the door to new possibilities. Being willing to step on the rocks and navigate the creek, knowing there could be some snakes there, is the very thing that allows you to enter into the better place. Choosing to be uncomfortable unlocks kingdom potential. As we talked about last week, what could be on the other side of obedience? This question should really excite you and bother you. What's on the other side of it? What kingdom realities are simply waiting for someone in the name of Jesus to choose to be uncomfortable? Choosing to be uncomfortable unlocks kingdom potential. Letting God stretch you will actually make you more of what you were intended to be. The Lord wants to use your life to even greater degree and levels than he is doing now. But often it takes our willingness to be uncomfortable. Choosing to be uncomfortable unlocks kingdom potential. So that's the first obstacle, the first snake in the tunnel, the first hurdle as you, as you seek to follow Jesus is this, is comfort and security. The next obstacle is a wrong priority. Having the wrong priority. So the next person says, let me first go and bury my father which would be very important. And Jesus said to him, the type of thing that bothers us greatly, leave the dead to bury their own dead. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Let me tell you something. The most dangerous wrong priorities are the good ones. Those are the most dangerous priorities in your life. Is that you could have really good priorities, but put them ahead of God's priorities and live a good life and it be an ungodly life. You, there's a biblical category for living a good life that is an ungodly life. It looks good to everyone around you and it's filled with maybe some good moral things to do. Like obviously taking care of your father, which the Bible would also say is really important. But there's this really dangerous twist now where my good priorities can become obstacles, snakes in the tunnel for God's priorities for me in my life. And some of you have prioritized following Jesus, meaning I stay away from all of the quote-unquote bad things. But you've still got a list of five things that you would call good, but you've put them ahead of God. So you're not out there cheating on your spouse and drinking your life away. You've tried to avoid some of those things, uh, but now you've chosen some other things that you would call good. You know, your family can be an idol in your life. 
That's very possible, you know. Being good at your job can be an idol in your life. There are good things that do not, are not allowed to be in the same category as God things. And that's what God is revealing here. It, it sounds really hard, and it is on purpose. Some of us like to cushion it and say, we didn't really mean that. Well, he said what he said. So here's what I, here's what I really want us to understand about what Jesus is, is trying to say here. Is that even the highest of our obligations on earth cannot compare to our obligation to Jesus. Okay? Even the highest obligations of our relationships on earth cannot compare to our obligation of our relationship and obedience to Jesus. When you stand before God, there is no such thing as a credible excuse for being disobedient. No such thing. No such, well, I was afraid of what would happen to my kids. And you say, well, that's a good, you want to protect your kids. That's not even a good enough excuse to say, well, I was disobedient to what you asked me to do. Well, I had to go take care of my parents. That's not even a credible excuse if it requires you to be disobedient to what God has asked you to do. There's, I just really felt the force of this when I was reading what the scripture said. There are no excuses. There's not one. You can't come up with anything where God says, well, that was worth being disobedient to me. That was worth not following me. That was worth not trusting me. That was worth playing it safe. That was worth it. I understand how you felt. I understand how important those people are to you. I understand your need for these things. I get it. And so I get it. No, no, no. I think that's what Jesus is trying to force here is to say, obviously, obviously, let me make clear. It is very biblical to take care of your family. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 5, 8, if a believer doesn't take care of his, provide for his own family, he might as well be an unbeliever, okay? The Bible is very clear to honor your father and mother, okay? So it's not like every time your parent dies, you have to go do something else than to, than to, to, to bury them. Of course not, okay? Let's be understanding about this. But it's an example, because if you ignored your family all the time, then you would be worse. You would be being disobedient to Jesus, all right, so let me just clarify that there's, there's some day-to-day uh, -to -day types of stuff. Say, obviously, loving your family well is a priority to Jesus so that you would do that well, and you do that for him. It's a way to obey him. But when it comes to who has the highest degree of priority, then you cannot mistake that it is always Jesus. And if following Jesus requires dismissing some other things or not being able to fulfill other obligations, or even putting your loved ones in harm's way, then following Jesus has the highest priority. There would be no such thing as a missionary if a parent's only job as a believer was to keep their kids safe. How many missionaries have I read about who go to a foreign country with no medical care and many of their children die? This is a consistent, consistent thing. William Carey would not have taken the gospel to India if he didn't think his own children weren't his highest priority because they died while he was there. These are the hard things that even people like me have to answer and say, man, am I, I don't know how far am I willing to go. How far? What's the line? Well, I say, not that. No, no. And I think Jesus wants to make clear, there is no line. There is, you have to go all the way. Following Jesus requires you to go all the way, and there is not a single possible, even good reason 
that could be an acceptable excuse to be disobedient to what God has said. That's why Matthew 6 says, seek first his kingdom. Jesus is first. Jesus comes first, always, in every situation, in every decision that you ever make, in every possible thing you could do with your life, in every possible way you could live every day, in every possible way you could spend your time, in every possible way you could use your money. Jesus always, in every situation, in every decision comes first. He is the highest priority. And following him becomes the highest and most obligated thing that I must do, even if it costs me everything else in my life. This is what Jesus is trying to, for- this is what the forcefulness of his phrase is to show you how serious he is about this. Not that you would go and ignore and be dismissive to your family. Of course not. That would be awful. That would be sinful. But to say as I live my life, even within my family, Jesus becomes my highest priority. He doesn't say just follow me, but he says you can't go do that because you must, what does he say, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. The reason he says let the dead bury their own dead, it's a spiritual play on words to say let those who are spiritually dead take care of those who are physically dead. Let the dead hang out with the dead and you go and proclaim life. Those are chosen, they've already chosen to pursue the way of death. And there are some who are experiencing physical death. Let the dead hang out with the dead and let them do the things that they do. But you take the higher priority and you go and proclaim life. This is the opposite of what we often think. Jesus is saying not only do you not go and do this, but you need to go and do this. To proclaim the gospel of God and the good news of Jesus Christ. This, okay, this is very important. Evangelism and sharing the gospel isn't a nice thing to do sometimes as a Christian It is the highest obligation that God has put on your life. It isn't something churches, it is the highest obligation that God has put on your life to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. In whatever setting that may be fitting and however that may look, this is the highest obligation God has put on your life. So I want you to ask a couple questions of yourself to help you discern what the Lord's doing First one is this, have life situations or other obligations become reasons for delaying obedience? Is there something in your life you're using as an excuse? It's a life situation, it's an obligation, you know. It's an easy one would be like, well, I'll be generous when I, you know. Just, I work at Five Guys right now, how am I, I'll be generous when I, you know. That's not how it works, and we know that in every area of life. I'll, I'll prioritize others when my family is finally, you know, everything's okay. Everything's put together, you know. Then I'll have the energy to go serve someone else. Have life situations or other obligations become reasons for delaying your obedience to God? Are you making, quote, unquote, good excuses? The second question is, are good priorities taking the place of God's priorities? Are good priorities taking the place of God's priorities? So as opposed to saying, okay, uh, I have a list of bad things I shouldn't do, and I avoid that. And now I have a list of these good things I'm pursuing. I want you to look at the good list, and I want you to evaluate whether God's really on the top, you know. Or is it possible you're living a good but ungodly life? 
What a tragedy that would be to live a good but ungodly life. So that's the second question. All right, the, that's the second obstacle. So we have two obstacles so far, comfort and security and the wrong priority. The third obstacle is familiarity. This is the one we close on. He says, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me say farewell to those at home. And Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand on the plow and looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. So following Jesus requires leaving everything that is familiar to me. Like, let me first go and say farewell to my home, to those that are familiar to me. Let me go and, and, and close the ties on my familiarities and then come. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Following me requires immediate obedience. He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I hear something for you to, to write down. It's a short phrase, kind of open-ended, but I think that's the point. Following Jesus, leading requires leaving. And I was trying to extend the phrase, and I thought, actually, no, I'm just going to leave it right there. Following Jesus, leading requires leaving. You can't follow the leading of Jesus and not actively always be leaving something else. You, you're right. You can't just, like, keep carrying all this. Okay, I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to keep carrying this old lifestyle or these old ambitions or these old priorities or whatever. I'm just going to try to, and you just like, and some of you following Jesus has gotten so burdensome, not because his commands are burdensome, but because you're trying to hold on to everything else while you still follow his commands. Following Jesus isn't burdensome. Trying to live your own life and follow Jesus is burdensome. As a matter of fact, it becomes so free to say, well, I just leave. Imagine, like, how free you would feel in some sense. Obviously, you love your stuff. But if you just sold everything and you had nothing to manage, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's kind of a weird feeling, and I, but I'm also super free. Like, I can just kind of do whatever. That's what it would be like to say, okay, following Jesus is uncertain. I'm not sure, you know. I know heaven's there. I know he's with me. I know everything will work out in the end. But I don't know how it's going to play out on a daily basis. Uh, but I've just left everything behind, and I'm completely unburdened by the things of the world, and all i got to do is just follow him. I've just, you know, metaphorically sold everything. I have nothing to manage, nothing to look after. Jesus becomes the only thing I'm attempting to do, and I follow him. And I become free. But your version of Christianity has burdened you because you're trying to follow Jesus, be a good Christian, and carry all the concerns of the world. You're trying to prioritize Jesus and your family equally. You're trying to prioritize Jesus and your money equally. You're trying to prioritize Jesus and your work equally. And you're trying to carry all of this to say, I'm going to keep following Jesus. And the weight just gets added and added and added and added and added. But following Jesus' leading requires leaving. Now, what is God calling you to leave today? Where is he calling you to leave? What is he calling you to leave behind? And you would be surprised at how free you would become and how much better it would feel to follow Jesus if you would simply let go of trying to obtain your old life or let go of trying to make all these priorities work. You know, we sat, I think it was last year, uh, or this phrase had hit me, it still does. Uh, that we don't, we shouldn't seek balance. The problem isn't balance; is we need order. Being balanced is dumb. Nobody's balanced. That's not how life works. The reason why you feel like you're juggling everything is you're trying to be balanced. 
I got Jesus here in church here and serving the poor here, and I got taking care of my family and going to work, and I, you know, and I'm trying to be balanced. And people say, well, how do you balance your work and your ministry and your home life and all that and your time with Jesus? And I say, the reason why we're struggling is we're trying to balance. You got to put things in order. Jesus first, then everything else. And you're trying to balance, you know, you're trying to juggle. And so it becomes really burdensome. You're trying, to, you're trying to do the Jesus thing and the work thing and the home thing and the family thing. And you just make them all equal parts of your life. And the reason why it's all falling apart is because you can't juggle that forever. And so the Lord wants to come today and say, stop pursuing balance and start putting things in order. Follow Jesus first and everything else. This is what the Lord is calling you to, which means you must necessarily, not by choice, not by an option, you must, you must, you must leave something behind. You must. It's not like, well, maybe. No, no, no. You must. I'm just so certain the Lord is going to call all of us things we need to be leaving so that we can step into Jesus' leading. But your concern and your just comfortability with familiarity is killing your faith. Your desire to stay familiar is killing your faith. Your unwillingness to be stretched is killing your faith. You're trying to keep all the concerns of your life in your world and follow Jesus is killing your faith and is making your Christianity a burdensome one. Following Jesus' leading requires leaving and as a means of stretching you, what is the Lord calling you to keep behind today? Finally, he says, you can't put your hand to the plow and look back. You can't put your hand to the plow and look back. That person is not fit. And when, I was, when I was meditating on this, I was thinking about the other day I was teaching my kid to ride a bike. And uh, we were going down a little hill. And then we evened out. Uh, and he kept swerving. You know, he's looking at the road. He's looking at what's on the left and the right. And I kept having to say, the only way to learn how to ride is you've got to keep your eyes looking forward. If you look at the road, every time, you look at the road, you look behind you, what are the other kids doing? If you look anywhere else, you start to swerve, and then you get in the grass, and then the bike stops. You, you can't put your hand on the bike and then look somewhere else. You have to stay looking forward so you can move forward. And then as we continue, the other thing is, like, you have to keep pedaling. It's the, it's the funny thing about riding a bike that when you feel like you're off balance, you want to slow down. You want to stop pedaling. As a matter of fact, that's the thing that messes you up more. You have to keep pedaling. The more you pedal, the more you'll catch a rhythm and you'll maintain your balance. So it's the opposite of what you think. You think, I'm losing my balance. I need to slow down or I need to stop. And as a matter of fact, it is the continual pedaling is the very thing that allows you to even yourself out. And the idea was you have to look forward and you have to keep pedaling. And I kept telling him that, and I thought, wow. What, I mean, is that not my whole life all put together in this verse here? You have to keep looking forward, and you have to keep pedaling. And that's what the Lord is coming to encourage many of you today to say, you're looking left, you're looking right. You're looking side by side, you're looking back. And every time you do that, you swerve off the road of trying to follow me, and you have to get back up again. Or you feel like you're off balance, and things are getting a little wonky, a little difficult, a little tough, 
And so your instinct is to stop, to slow down, to decelerate on your following Jesus. As a matter of fact, though, the way to re-maintain your balance and to get stability in your life is to keep pedaling because the Lord will align you with his purposes. And so God comes and he says, look, you put your hand to the plow, you put your hand on the bike, and you got to keep going, you got to keep looking forward, and you got to keep pedaling. And if you just keep doing that and keep doing that, one day you're going to arrive at the destination that I have secured for you, but no one can follow me and keep looking back. And the reason, once again, why maybe your version of Christianity is so difficult for you to live out is because every five seconds you're swerving off the road because you're always looking somewhere else other than forward at Jesus. You're looking back at your past. You're looking left to right at the people next to you, at the road and the cars coming down the road. Your concern is everything except the path before you. And because you've taken your eyes off the path in front of you, you don't have the ability to stay on it. And the Lord is calling you back this morning to say, I want you to be familiar, most familiar with one thing, that's me. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So three snakes in the tunnel. Comfort and security, having the wrong priorities, and familiarity. Where might the Lord be leading and calling you in your life? To step out in faith, to step over that particular snake or danger, and to enter into the kingdom realities that God has for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We ask now uh, that you would continue to work mightily in our lives, Lord. We pray that you would allow this, this text, this truth, to do what it has intended to do. Thank you that you're worth giving up everything for. Thank you that you're worth following. And I just pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you by your Holy Spirit uh, would give us um, the measure of faith needed to not be afraid of the snakes in the tunnel and the hurdles on the road. That you would allow us in this season to overcome some of the obstacles that have gotten in the way of us following Jesus. That this would be an incredible season of growth for us to become everything you have intended for us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's respond to the